Exodus, chapter 1, we're just getting started good in Exodus, we're still just kind of in the introduction part of Exodus, just trying to understand exactly uh, how we got here, or how the Israelites got here, I should say, and kind of unfolding exactly what the, what the problem is and what's going to take place uh, from this point forward in Exodus. So, uh, this is... This is more of an introduction, I guess, than a sermon, if that makes any sense. But we're going to go through and just kind of still try to figure out exactly what's going on. We're going to start in verse 8, and we'll read through verse 22. Now, last week, we kind of talked about how the Israelites had made their way to Egypt. It was because of the famine in the land. And so everyone in that area around Egypt had come to Egypt because Joseph uh, had been uh, told the people of, e- of Egypt to be storing all this food in preparation for this famine. So they had seven years of abundance. Come on in, just in time. They had seven years of abundance, and then they had seven years of famine. And Egypt was the only place in the land that had food. And so that's how Jacob and his sons arrived in Egypt. Now, one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, was already there. He had been there for a few years because his brothers had sold him into slavery. And Joseph had worked his way up into power under the Pharaoh that was there. And Joseph was second in command. There was nobody higher than Joseph except for the Pharaoh. So during that time uh, that that Pharaoh was alive and that Joseph was, was, uh, was, was still high up and well respected, uh, Jacob and his family, they were okay. They were well taken care of. Everything was going good. There were only about 70 Israelites, give or take a few, depending on different, different verses in the Bible. We don't know exactly how many. Uh, uh, but, but we'll say uh, approximately 70 Israelites went to Egypt, and what we're going to see tonight is that there was a, a large and quick growth of the Israelite people. So, let's pray, and then we'll dig into the text. Father God, we come to you tonight, and I thank you for this word. I pray that you would help us as we are going through this book of Exodus, that we just kind of understand exactly what's going on, that, that in our mind we kind of we get what your people Israel were going through, what got them to this place, and, and how you're going to do a mighty work, dear Lord, uh, to get them from this place that they are in. So God, just help us to, to get that foundation, to get this introduction, to understand exactly what's going on in, in the book of Exodus, and have our hearts ready to learn from from what you do for your people, dear Lord, in that book, God, and what you want to do for us, how you deliver your people then, and God, how you want to uh, deliver us now. So just be with us tonight as we read through uh, this text. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. A new king who had not known Joseph came to power in Egypt. Now, I don't know exactly what that means when it says a new king who had not known Joseph. One, it could mean that he he just didn't he didn't know him at all. He had no knowledge. He didn't know anything about Joseph. Or two, it could mean that that he didn't really care. He had no allegiance to Joseph. And and we understand that in our culture today. When a president comes in, right, they bring in all these people to fill in their jobs. And when a new president comes in, very seldom do any of those old people keep their job, right? No matter how good a job they did, the new leader coming into office doesn't have any allegiance to those people. Guess what? They bring in their new people. So I don't know when it says that this new king that came in to be, or Pharaoh came in to be, I don't know that it meant that he actually didn't have any knowledge of Joseph or that he just didn't care. Joseph was of no importance to him. He didn't have a a good relationship with him. Depending on the translation of the Bible you use, uh, it it may kind of 
lean toward one or the other of those. Some translations kind of lean toward the fact that uh, the king knew Joseph. He just didn't. He didn't. He didn't care anything about Joseph. And some kind of lead toward the fact that maybe he didn't even know him at all uh, with the language like we see here. So. Whether the king actually physically really knew Joseph or not is hard to say. In verse 9, he said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Now, that's a tough verse. There's, there's a lot of tough verses in the Bible, and this is, this is one of those that, that, that doesn't seem tough, but again, it's kind of hard to determine exactly uh, what's going on there. There are, some, there are many opinions as to maybe what, what this verse could mean, there were likely lots of Egyptians at that point in time, uh, probably in the millions. Now, that's just a, an estimate by historians. And most theologians would say that the Israelites probably didn't outnumber the Egyptians, although it's possible that they could have. Uh, the Bible obviously says that this king said that, that the, the Israelites outnumbered them. Was this an Egyptian king or was this possibly an Assyrian king? That's one of, the, one of the theories is that possibly this king who was ruling in Egypt at this time was an Assyrian man. And while he was in Egypt, uh, he was simply saying that the Israelites outnumbered the Assyrians, not that he out, they outnumbered the Egyptians. So again, this is a tough verse. Is it, is it possible that the Egyptians could have been outnumbered by the Israelites? It is absolutely possible. So there are, there are some differing views there. There are no doubt as we read the rest of these, these verses, there were a lot of Israelites. That 70 had turned into a lot real quick. And that's really, uh, we might not understand the details, but we don't want to miss kind of the point of what was going on in these texts. And the point was, is that the Israelites were becoming large in number and, and, and with the possibility of becoming very powerful if they continued to grow in the way they were. And the king was afraid of that. Verse 10, let us deal shrewdly with them, otherwise they will multiply further, and if war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So what is his response to this? This king, this pharaoh of Egypt, sees that the people of Israel are just growing abundantly. They're just continuing to multiply. And he says, we got to deal harshly with them. we got to make it tough on them. We've got to figure out some way to slow them down so that they, that they don't outnumber us and keep growing uh, to where they can take us over. He said, look, if our enemies come in and it's so many of them and they were to team up with our enemies, we would be in bad shape. Now, that's, that's saying a lot because in that time, Egypt was, was pretty powerful. They were probably, I'm not a historian, but, but best I can tell, I would say that Egypt was probably the most powerful place, at least in that, in that area of the world at that time. Uh, after all, most of the other places had suffered from famine, and it was Egypt was the only place that had food. And so Egypt uh, had, had grown in their power uh, due to this famine, and Egypt was afraid of the Israelites because they were continuing to grow at such a rapid pace. So the king says, we got to make it tough on them and do something about this. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Python and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. Now we're starting to see kind of what the real problem is for, for at least this first part of Exodus that we're going to be reading through. Uh, God's people are there, but we see uh, as God's blessing them and they are continuing to multiply, we see 
are beginning to see how they're getting into, into this oppression, into these hard times uh, at the hands of the Egyptians. And so uh, the king says, we're going to do all this stuff to them. And the more they do to them to try to keep them down, the more God continues to bless. And they just keep multiplying, they keep multiplying. And the Egyptians are saying, oh no, what are we going to do? They just continue to, to grow and to grow and to grow. Verse 13, they worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and in all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. So these were not good times for the people of Israel. The people of Israel were going through some very difficult times. Now, we... we are kind of familiar with maybe the idea of what's going on because we've watched movies, uh, the Ten Commandments. I remember that used to come on every year. It may, it may still come on every year, all the time. The Ten Commandments. Uh, Charlton Heston is a good movie, and you know, I, I hadn't watched it in a long time. But but we see these scenes of the Egyptians being or the Israelites being worked hard and being enslaved by the Egyptians, and 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 there are many different movies that we may have seen, and we kind of get the idea. I don't know how historically accurate those things are. I don't know all the details. Some would say that it was the Israelites that built the pyramid. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a historian. I don't know if that was that time period or not. But what I do know is that the Egyptians were making it very hard on the Israelites. They were working them very difficult. They were trying to keep them down. They were trying to break them, we could say, so that they would not be powerful, so that they would not multiply, and they were working them really hard. In verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah, and the other Pua. When you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. So he's going with plan B. All right. So he come up with his first plan, the, the king, the pharaoh did, and he said, we'll just work them, we'll just, we'll just keep them as slaves, we'll work them so hard that they can't reproduce. That failed. They still reproduced, and they were still being worked hard, but God was still multiplying. God was still blessing his people. So he went with plan B. Here was what we'll do. If any of these, these Israelite women, if they bore a son, if any of these Hebrew women have a child and it's a son, we'll just kill the kids. If there's no more men that are born, then there can't be any more children that reproduce. And after a few years, we'll be really cut down on the problem. And, and, and if long enough went by, they would have completely eliminated it. So he puts this plan in place and he gets these women and he says, when a child is born, if it's a, if it's a boy, just kill it on the spot. Verse 17, the Hebrew midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king had told them. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. For they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So these, these Israelite women, like, they're not dragging around with childbirth. Like, they are getting it done. Like, some of you women may know what it's like. It's, it's probably not a good thing when a, when a childbirth just kind of drags on and taking a long time. I was watching a show the other night, and there was somebody having a baby, and it was a comedy, and she was, she was so bad. There were like five or six ladies that had come in, and they had already had their babies, and they had gone, and she was just sitting there in agony and pain. And I kind of I thought about that when I I was reading about these Israelite women. They weren't playing around. The midwife said, look, these women are having their babies. They are getting it done. In verse 20, it says, 
So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very numerous. So, the pharaohs tried two things, the kings tried two things to try to keep the the, uh, Israelites down, but guess what? God's with them. And when God's with us, can't stop us. Couldn't stop the Israelites, same for us. God was with them, uh, and and in in the midwives' case, they were being obedient to the Lord. It said they feared the Lord, and because of that, God blessed them, and God continued to bless the Israelites, and they continued to grow and continued to grow. And so who knows how many Israelites they were at this point, but there were obviously a lot. It was enough to make the king, uh, the pharaoh of Egypt, uh, leery and afraid. So there must have been a lot of Israelites at this point in time. Verse 21, Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Pharaoh then commanded all his people, You must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. So Pharaoh is still trying to continue on with this plan. As the, as the Israelites continue to grow and become more numerous, he says, look, just continue on. Keep getting rid of these, these boy Hebrew babies. We have got to do away with them. And so now we kind of see uh, one of the big issues for the Israelite people in the book of Exodus. We see what the problem is for them. Now, God is, is, is infinite in His wisdom and infinite in His ways. And, and, and God knew exactly what He was doing when Joseph went into to, to, to Egypt and was able to eventually take care of his family and the nation of Israel. Uh, but I heard an interesting thought this week. I, I don't remember the guy's name to get him credit for it. But he, he posed a, a thought that I had never really thought about before. And he said, you know, maybe it was in God's plan to lead the people of, of Israel into Egypt so that they could multiply so that when the time came for them to go back into the promised land, they would have enough people to be able to stand against their enemies. And that makes some sense to me because the people in Canaan were, for the most part, evil people. If you go back and you read in the Old Testament about these different people uh, in the book of Joshua and in Genesis and all these other people in the land of Canaan, these people did some pretty evil things. And so perhaps, as as odd as it may seem for God's people to have to go through this struggle, perhaps it was part of God's plan that they would go here, that they would multiply and become numerous into the hundreds of thousands, probably into the millions, and then they would be able to go back and take over the land that God had promised them. After all, God had said it would be some 400 years before they took, took... took the land is what he told Abraham. So perhaps we say, well, man, God, why is it taking so long? Who knows? We don't know exactly what God's plan is, but God had a plan, and lo and behold, it worked out exactly like he wanted it to. It always does. And so that's what we're going to be seeing in the chapters to come in Exodus. We are going to see uh, these Israelite people who have been enslaved and been oppressed. We are going to see the power of God and how he takes care of those who are his and is able to deliver them. If you look at, at Genesis, it's, it's, it's about many things, but I think one thing, it's kind of a key thing that takes place in Genesis, is that is that God chooses his people. Uh, Genesis is about the choosing. We see that with Abraham when God says, I choose you and I'm going to bless you and your family and your descendants for years and years to come. That's not the only thing Genesis is about, but, but that's kind of a key part of the book of Genesis. And if Genesis is about choosing, if God choosing his people, then I would say that a good, a, one thing that Exodus is about is God redeeming his people. 
It was true for God's people then, and it's true for us now. I, I believe that God chooses us, but the question that, that we have to answer is, have we chosen God? Have we been redeemed by God? God chooses us, and sometimes we, like the Israelites, find ourselves in a situation where we are oppressed by our enemy who is trying to keep us down. We are in a, a dire situation, and that situation is our sinfulness. And the only way that we can get out of our sinfulness, out of our situation that we're struggling is the one thing that keeps us down, that keeps us depressed, that keeps us just not able to do anything, that's our sin. And we can't get out from under that. That sin is like a big boulder just on our chest. And, and no matter how much we try to pick that boulder up and twist and turn and, and, and squeeze around, we just can't get out from under our sin. But when Jesus comes, he can take that sin in our life and he can lift it right from us. When Jesus comes and says, look, I want to offer you a way out. I want to take this burden of sin for you. I died on the cross. I've got the power now. I can take the sin that you're struggling with. I can free you from that. I can get you out from under there. Jesus is saying, I choose to make you mine. And how many of us are saying maybe, I'd rather stay under this, this, this sin. I'd rather stay under this rock. That'd be foolish for us to do that. It would be foolish for us to say, I want to stay in this, in this dire situation when there is a man, when there is the Son of God there saying, I want to free you from this. I want to take all that you can't do, and I want to take it away from you. All that sin that you can't get rid of, Jesus says, I want to take it away from you. And that's what God did for his people here. God's people were in a situation, they were in a foreign land, and without the power of God, the Israelites probably never would have gotten out of Egypt. But they were God's chosen people. And God, with his chosen people, he takes care of them. And God redeems his people. He gets them out of this situation. He gets them away from their enemy, and he is able to bless them and get them into a land of their own and get them from point A, which is that struggle that they're in right now that we're seeing, and he brings them to point B, which is a place that God says, look, this is going to be your place, and I'm going to take care of you there. And the same God that wanted to take care of his children, Israel, in the Old Testament is the same God that wants to take care of you. The same God that wanted to deliver them from their struggles and their trials and their oppression is the same God that sees what you're going through. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what sins in your life. And he's saying, look, I want to lead you out of that. Will you trust me? And we have to come to the Lord and say, look, look Lord, I need to be delivered. I need to be redeemed. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. We, we kind of see a glimpse of that. We see a glimpse of what is to come in the grand scheme of things with Jesus Christ. What God did here is he delivered his, his children Israel. But what God uh, did after Jesus Christ came, he said, Look, any who will come to me, any who will accept me, I want to redeem you. I want to get you from the oppression and the sinfulness of, of the enemy. And I want to bring you to a better place. And some of you may be looking for a better place. And if you are, the only way you're going to find it is through Jesus Christ. The only way you're going to find it is to trust the Lord and let Him lead you out of that place. And it may take a while. It took a while for the Egyptians, or the Israelites. They didn't get out of, out of Egypt just instantly. It took some time to progress for God's plan to work out. But when He did, God took care of His people. And God will take care of us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these words tonight, and I pray that you would help us to uh, just look at our life. Maybe some of us are in a spot where, where we shouldn't be. Maybe we're in some sin, and, and maybe there are some in here that haven't accepted Jesus Christ, and maybe there are some that have that are, that are living in sin, and we're trying to, to, to get out of this sin, out from under it on our own, but 
But God, we have to be reminded, we have to remember that it's Jesus who, who lifts all this burden of sin off of us. He's the only one that can take that thing that's, that's, that's just weighing us down, dear Lord. So God, I pray that you would help us to, to see, see uh, through your people, Israel, as we read in the book of Exodus, that we would see how you delivered them, dear Lord. And that we would know that you have the power to deliver us, God. That as you redeemed your people then, God, you can redeem your people now. So, dear Lord, help us to seek you and trust you. Help us to know, God, that you, you choose us. You want us to come to you. And we thank you, God, for letting us be, be part of, 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 of your children, dear Lord. Even though we're not uh, born Hebrew, we're not born Jewish, we're not born Israelites, dear Lord, we thank you for offering uh, that gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ to all of us. And so, God, I pray that if one in this room has not come to you, has not accepted that gift, that they would come, that they would just ask for your forgiveness, Lord Jesus, and they would just let you take that sin away, that they would accept you as their Lord and Savior. And, God, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.